It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome in, Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, March 31st, year of our Lord, 2022. What should the expectations be a year after you win the national championship? Well, we're going to discuss that amongst many other things tonight. We're jam-packed, high atop what can only be described as a conflicted downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Mid-80s yesterday, mid-50s today. Colin had no clue what to wear. And that's how ghosts normally tend to operate. If you know, you know. Look, yesterday's storm chase, I'm not going to talk about it. It was a total bust, big waste of my time. Tonight's show, though, will be nothing like that for you. We have got some talk, question and answer style, about Georgia. What should the expectations be there? Uh, what also should happen in the state of Texas when Texas joins the SEC? Who will run things out there? What else are we talking about? We got a lot of Arch Manning. Well, we got a question about Arch Manning tonight. Also, you know, we've got a Q&A mailbag episode for you tonight. We're doing at least one more of those. Tonight's the night. And it takes us all over the place. That's why I've loved this format for about the past three weeks, because we're covering so much that normally I wouldn't even think to cover. So by the time we wrap this show up in the next 30 to 45 minutes, I think you're going to get a lot out of this, because I got a lot out of recording these over the last month, so I really like this. Also, I got a story for you. Towards the very end, we have not done some all-access story time in quite a while, so I figured I would do that tonight. Boy, the international shout-out community is on fire. Let me tell you, Jesse and Colin, where they're watching us tonight. Melbourne, Australia, tuned in. Canberra, Australia, tuned in. Also, Bromley, London, Manchester, England, Tel Aviv, Israel, St. George, Grenada, and... Luann, Arkansas. All tuned in tonight. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate that. Uh, the international shout-outs, nor the stateside shout-outs done. Uh, we will get to more later. So let's dive into the mailbag tonight. I have loved this, loved this, loved this. And uh, this is why. I'm going to show you. This is where you take us. Well, first off, you're taking us here down a road with which I'm going to be very careful as I travel it. Cooper Patagna who A, knows better, but B, has access to the mailbag just like any other citizen out there, asks, who has more wins over the next five years, Brian Kelly or Billy Napier? Now, Cooper's a good friend. Well, he's a friend. Is he good? We'll see by the end of this answer. He's trying to get me to choose a side here and thus alienate an SEC fan base, which goes against all protocol on this program, especially in springtime. But look at what we have here. Keep in mind, these programs play every year. Uh, for those unfamiliar out there, if you chose to just check out in November of last year and you just came back to the college football watering hole, <laughs> yeah, actually, if that's your scenario, wow, what a shock I have for you here. Brian Kelly is now the head coach at LSU. Napier is over in Gainesville. He's at Florida. So these two are going to play each other every year. If I were to ask you this question, some of you are probably already working this out in your mind, which of them has more wins five years from now? And they play each other, so it's not just a head-to-head -head record, but is it a 3-2, to 2-3, two? Two to three? is it a 4-1, to one? is it a clean sweep? And what do you value more here? Because this is where I came. This is the angle I came from. Do I value tenure, seasoning, if you will? Because that's what Brian Kelly has. I've seen Brian Kelly do it at this level, at the Power 5 level. I've seen him do it for quite a while. 
you know my affinity for Brian Kelly, but I've also got um, a healthy amount of affinity for Billy Napier too. So do I value the seasoning, the Wikipedia track record list, if you will, or do I value a guy who is an up and comer, who I think has all the tools as well, just gets a chance to shine finally on the big stage and at least as of this moment, has a more workable path. The reason I say as of this moment is because I know there's this thinking out there that the SEC East will forever lag behind the SEC West. It has for a little while. I don't know if that's always going to be the case. Certainly, there has to be somewhat of a cyclical nature to this. And I think Tennessee, if we were to do red arrow, green arrow, certainly Tennessee is an improving program and could be a rapidly improving program with the quarterback situation there. And I'm talking about future tense and present tense. Also, South Carolina is improving under Shane Beamer. Kentucky is Kentucky. I got a question today about why I don't talk about Missouri more. Ironically, we're doing a mailbag episode and a question about Missouri was not posed. Just ask why I don't talk about the Tigers more. Ask a Missouri question. I'll answer it. So yeah, the SEC East lags behind right now. I don't know maybe the gap will be so wide as to affect the answer to this question because it is it is a grown man's chore to have to draw Alabama and Texas A&M every year. And now Sam Pittman has all of a sudden decided to announce Arkansas is just kind of here and not going away. It's not going to be a little spike year, a little one year wonder year. Uh, eventually something's going to happen at Auburn. Either Brian Harson will get it figured out or someone else will. And it just kind of the drumbeat goes on. I didn't even mention Ole Miss. They won 10 games last year. I think if I power rated the hires, as we already did on this show, I liked Kelly more. I think because of the, the division situation, if I were to have to place money on this, you know, I actually may lean Napier by the slimmest of margins. So I don't know. I really don't know. You know what it may come down to? It may actually come down to the head-to-head factor. As crazy as that sounds over a five-year period. Basically, there is no skilled way to answer this question. Uh, I'm going to go 51% Napier which reserves the right for me to say, well, it was only a 51% guess if and when Brian Kelly just starts immediately dominating in year one. We're going to talk more about LSU, not tonight necessarily, but I was, as I said, on a complete bust of a storm chase yesterday. And so I got a chance to listen to virtually every podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I was listening to Shay and the guys with the Go 24-7 pod talking about some of the very, very early reactions to Brian Kelly practices at LSU. And I, I've been looking forward to this the vibe that's coming off of LSU football. Because I knew what it was going to sound like. This was no mystery. It was going to sound something along the lines of this. Things are more professional. Things are more structured. Guys are a lot more detail-oriented. Guys are about their business a whole lot more. Yeah, stands to reason when you understand what you're shifting from to. I'm interested to see what they think about the roster they inherited. What do they think? How many of these true freshmen realistically can be plug-in helps? Immediate impact, guys. And then how much further down the road are we going to have to get until we think we can quote-unquote contend, until we really think we're in the picture? A lot of the more reasonable analysis, and I would agree with this, is if you want to talk about that C word, contention, you're probably talking about next year being the first year you can reasonably have that conversation. This year is get it on the rails and dust the program off and make sure it's ready to go for next year and anything you get this year's gravy. Look, you could say the same thing about Napier at Florida. I think a fun side question to this would be, who should you or whomst should you expect more from in year one? But it's not a Q&A mailbag for me. It's a Q&A mailbag for you. So when one of you asks the question, I will answer it. Moving right along here, this plays off something we talked about at great length the other night. 
and did really good traffic. Dabo Swinney videos always do good traffic on the YouTube channel. So Marcus asks, do you think in Dabo's 2022 season, he can play the no one believes in us and little old Clemson cards and get Clemson back to an ACC title? Short answer, yes, I do think he can do that. For those of you unfamiliar with what we're talking about here, you must be a pretty new college football fan, which is fine. We welcome all newcomers. But this was the this was kind of the MO for a little while of Dabo at Clemson. Now, Dabo in and of himself is not inauthentic when he does this. This has been the way he's wired for a long time. You can talk to people going all the way back to his days in little old Pelham, Alabama. The way that he came up, the way he ended up being able to play at Alabama, the way he ended up being able to become the head coach at Clemson. It's always been a me against the world. It's always been a little old me. It's always been you fill in the blanks. The same kind of mantra that he built that early string of success. When I say early, I mean the national championship years for Clemson, that early modern string, string of success for Clemson. He built it on a foundation of that. When they played, they played with that chip on the shoulder type mentality. They truly played like they thought no one in the world thought they could do anything. And so they had to face the 11 guys across the ball from them, but also those guys up in the booth and everyone at home. And those guys in the desert and everyone in between, they're, they're all against us. It doesn't matter if that's reality or not. If you can convince a locker room full of people, including your staffers, that that is the case, they'll play in accordance with that philosophy. He did that. Well, I was down in Columbus, Georgia at the time, but I've reiterated it several times here. The problem, if you want to call it that, with that kind of approach is it always has a finite amount of resource for you, a finite amount of fuel because the the more that you climb the mountain and the higher and closer to the mountaintop you get, then all of a sudden everyone believes in you and it, it, runs out of, it, it runs out of steam when you continue to try and convince people that no one believes in you, but you're favored by 14 points in a top 10 matchup. So anyway, now we've, we've had a couple of years and especially last year, the question was, can he use that card again this year? I think he can. So I don't think Clemson's going to be a preseason favorite for anyone. I, I think they may be favorites to contend in the ACC, yes. But yeah, we're still a couple of months away from preview magazine season, so we'll see. But how many preview magazines are going to have that big orange tiger paw on the cover? How many preview magazines are going to coronate Clemson as anything more than an ACC championship contender? Certainly don't think the noise will be as pronounced as we've grown accustomed to it being. That's the one advantage to 2021 going the way it did. Now, if you want to know about the stature of this program, Think about the fact that they won 10 games last year, and we are referring to it as a bona fide dip, as a bona fide down season. That's, that's like Alabama territory. That, that's the level that Nick Saban got to where if you won 10 games there, yeah, that'd be a down year. Well, Dabo and Clemson won 10 games last year. Down year. And everyone, including me, agrees with that. Down year. So you got the record. And then also people... They question replacing the staffers probably even more than can you rebound from a quote-unquote down 10-win season. I think that Dabo Swinney is going to be able to authentically and genuinely use this, if he so chooses, as motivation and fuel for his program this year. Personal feel on this, I've never been crazy about this tactic, but that's personal philosophy. Who cares? I don't run the Clemson program. He does. He's won two national championships and counting by doing it the way he does it, so far be it for me to... Look at a guy with, with more jewelry on his hand than I'll ever have and say, actually, here's how you should be doing it. Yeah, I think he's going to be able to use it this season at least. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! 
The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, here's a very, very important question. Uh, it's, it's procedural for us, but it also has to do with countless thousands of you out there. Uh, Stuart Donald asked, would you ever consider doing a college football doubleheader, say an 11 a.m. game in Norman and a 7 p.m. kickoff in Fayetteville? Well, hey, if we could get that actual scenario to go down, yeah, I'd love it. Now, what we're talking about here is the fabled double dip. Famously, I screwed up our opportunity to execute this last year. I was credentialed to the Cotton Bowl for, well, I was credentialed to the Red River Shootout for OU Texas. I was also credentialed for Alabama at Texas A&M. I decided to go to the airport and fly home, and on the flight home, watched A&M upset Alabama. That's my bad. So we missed a golden opportunity to pull this off last year. This question got the wheels turning in Jesse's mind. And so before I even got into the office today, yes, he does arrive that early, he started scanning the calendar. And by the time I walked in, he said, not only do I have a calendar, and we'll look at that in a second, I've got the criteria. And so here's what we will need to happen. What we'll need is we gotta have driving distance proximity or, and then just fill in the blank and we'll put, we'll put a pause on that. So we need it to be relatively close. The venues need to be close to each other. We have got to have an early kickoff and a late kickoff for obvious reasons. At least one of these games has to be a big, big high priority game because we are, after all, going to the biggest events in the country, the biggest games in the country every week. At least one of them has to fit that bill. Now, there is a little bullet point that Jesse chose to add and I'm endorsing at the bottom. If you give us access to private aviation, we can become a little more flexible on the first two bullet points. I know our audience. I know some of you have done very well in life. And I even happen to know that some of you take said forms of private aviation to games. It's already going to be in the air. If you got a couple extra seats on board, that'd be great. Anyway, I don't want to beg any more than I have to, is my point. With that in mind, here's what potentially fictitious producer Jesse put together as five or maybe even six possibilities. We're going to go through these quick. Option one, we got to go to week five. Think about that all the way down in week five. We got Oklahoma State at Baylor. We got West Virginia at Texas. The distance between the two campuses or Camp I since it's plural, about 100 miles. This is Waco. This is Austin. It's an I-35 special, hour 45 minutes. That is young, innocent fawnish Jesse, who has never driven 35 in his life, much less on a game day Saturday. So yeah, an hour 45 minutes, you would be on 35 for an hour 45 minutes, and then about another hour 45 minutes. But could it be pulled off? Yes, it could. So that's option one. What about option two? We go a couple of weeks later. To me, this is the most realistic. We got Penn State at Michigan, and we got Wisconsin at Michigan State. 63 miles between... Uh, I, I've, I've done this before, actually. So, so I remember the drive. It, it's a fairly workable drive. 63 miles between the campuses there. East Lansing and Ann Arbor 
And one of these games has to be the Fox Noon game. We're banking on that, which means the other game needs to be the ABC or ESPN Saturday night game of the week. This would give us time. I think we can pull this one off, so bookmark that one. Penn State at Michigan, Wisconsin at Michigan State. The third one is a couple of weeks after that. Now look, this one is going to be really tight. We're probably going to need some private aviation, but think about how big the magnitude of the games is. Michigan State at Michigan. We are going to assume, or presume, as the graphic says, that is the big noon kickoff for Fox, as it was last year. We were at this game last year. And then... We're also going to look at Ohio State at Penn State that night. About 400 miles between the campuses. Uh, that's going to be the whiteout game. Jesse is going ahead. He's going to call the shot now. And that's also going to be a primetime game, almost certainly. So we've, we've got the windows right. Just need, you know, a spare helicopter if you got one. Even settle for a Cessna if you got one. Uh, that would be a big one, though. Go from Ann Arbor to State College day, night. Double dip there. Uh, what's the next one, Jesse? The next one I remember looking at and thinking, oh, probably private aviation special here too, and it is. Alabama at LSU. Let's just assume this is going to be the CBS night game. Nothing is final, and we work here and we don't know. Nothing is final, but let's say for the sake of argument, it is. Are we really going to get Florida at A&M to be a noon game? I, we don't think so. Like We were talking amongst ourselves, if, if CBS selects this week as the double hitter, it's going to be a 338. 3.30 and then 8 o'clock. And that 3.30 game would almost certainly be Florida at A&M. But on the off chance that that's not the case and we get Florida A&M at noon and Bama LSU at 8, hey, you throw in some private aviation, it could happen. And last but not least, I think we go all the way to rivalry week. No, we don't. We go week 12. Tennessee at South Carolina and Miami at Clemson. Miami, to me, Miami at Clemson sounded like an ESPN 7.30 special. Which means if I can get Vols Gamecocks at noon, I think we could pull this off. It's about a two to two and a half hour drive, especially if you're near a tunnel. And as that first game ends, you dead sprint to the vehicle that's waiting for you. You know, kind of like a Zeppelin concert. You get out of the arena before anyone else even knows what's happened. I think we can pull that one off. So those are six possibilities. I think at least two of those set up favorably for us to pull off uh, in an area that we failed so miserably in last year. And again, that was all on me. There is one more? Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is rivalry week. This is the one that I knew I was going to forget. So LSU is at Texas A&M. That's rivalry week. That's College Station. And Baylor is at Texas. Baylor uh, is the defending Big 12 champion. Actually, they're not defending anything. You can't take it from them. So they just are the Big 12 champion. And Texas is, well, it's Texas. So I have no clue what they're going to be this year. This could happen. This could happen. Uh, LSU at A&M especially is juicy every year. Baylor at Texas should be. Distance is 105 miles. Is this? No, it's not. Okay, that was another one I was thinking about. So this one is doable. It's just so far down the road, we don't know what the magnitude of the games are. Um, so, and it's also, it's rivalry week. So we've also got Iron Bowl this day, all the rivalry games. We've got Ohio State and Michigan that day. That's why it's such a crapshoot to look out all the way out to week 13. But we'll see. So those are some of the games that we circled. And uh, let's just cross our fingers because a lot has to go right for that to happen. Uh, they're watching tonight, by the way, in Ponca City, Oklahoma. They're watching in Los Angeles, California and Tupelo, Mississippi. Thank you wherever you are listening, watching, maybe doing both, hopefully. Thank you so much. Let's talk about a little Arch Manning. We have not done this. I have not talked about Arch Manning a whole lot on the show lately. So Tonto Goldstein, good guy, Tonto. He asked, if you were Arch Manning, 
Would you go to play for Nick Saban, or would you live out your father's dream that was taken from him at Ole Miss and go play for Lane Kiffin? A lot of people are asking this question. A lot of people are, if I was Arch, this is what I'd do on message boards all over the 24-7 network and beyond. Well, what would you do? Everyone's got an opinion on this. Why should you and I be any different? What would you do? Let's say you got offers and he does. He can go wherever he wants to. So Arch Manning, you could go play for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. You could go, like we said, fulfill legacy potential there at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin. You could go to Alabama and play for the greatest of all time as he's currently in a dynasty run at Alabama. You could go play for Kirby in Georgia. They just won a national championship with... Let's be delicately kind, but honest about this. Far lesser caliber quarterback play than you could potentially offer. Where do you go? Well, I think firstly, it depends on how much that whole legacy thing matters to you. Sometimes it is actually the case that legacy means a whole lot. And the stuff that fans look at and value is the same stuff the player values. But I've also observed probably more so on the other side of the coin Situations where a fan base or just the overall college football public assumes that something matters to a kid and then it doesn't. And you never really knew it because the kid never really came out and said it. But people behind the scenes end up finding out, wow, that actually that thing that we thought was going to factor in so much. Turns out it didn't factor in at all. How much is legacy going to factor in here? Because to me, that determines what kind of legitimate shot Ole Miss has. We think it matters a lot. Therefore, we think Ole Miss has a very good shot. So let's just let's bookmark that because we can't know until the decision is made. Let's say outside of Ole Miss, I just stated the opinion about Ole Miss. Let's say it were to come down to a Georgia, Texas, Alabama battle. Just for the sake of argument, I'm not saying that that's official or anything like that, but just for the sake of argument. Let's say it's dogs, tide, and longhorns. I am of the opinion that you go wherever the questions that you don't have control over have been answered most definitively. So my thinking is this, even if you're an all-world quarterback or an all-world position player, doesn't matter, all this still resonates and still stands, there are things you do control, your work ethic and how you perform in the classroom and your, your attention to detail, those things you control. Uh, you control your physical development outside of getting injured in a freak nature. You control a lot of stuff. But there are also things outside your control. Who your offensive coordinator will be, uh, who your quarterback's coach will be, the talent that will surround you. Some of that's outside your control. Uh, the overall direction of the program, uh, the, the culture of the program, a lot of that's outside your control. And so if I were Arch Manning, if I were a guy with options, and certainly at the quarterback position, if I'm a guy with options, I'm going to look around and I'm going to think about an offensive, not only a philosophy, but an offensive reputation, where have they definitively answered that question? That kind of question that I may not have control over. Well, they've absolutely done it at Alabama. I don't have any doubt about Steve Sarkeesian in either of those categories at Texas. They have answered it at both places. I think from a culture standpoint, that's where Bama would have the edge over Texas. And I don't think Texas fans would argue that. Now, here's where it gets interesting. How do you answer that with Georgia? Because Georgia just won a national championship. So there's certainly no culture question at Georgia. But in terms of the offensive related questions that are outside your control, i.e., how are you going to be utilized? I have no doubt that Arch Manning would go to Georgia and succeed. I have no doubt that Georgia, uh, if and when he arrived there, would fashion their offense around him. 
But if we're comparing place versus place versus place, a couple of places, especially at Bama, they already have done it. Whereas at Georgia, I think they would do it. They just proved they can do it without truly elite quarterback play. That doesn't mean they wouldn't change things if they did have an elite quarterback. Uh, but at Steve Sarkeesian's Texas program now, that's also a place where even though you could reasonably say to me, Josh, they hadn't proven anything. I'd say, yeah, I know. And you can say, well, Sark hadn't done anything as a head coach like he did as a coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, I know. I just happen to have faith that he would. You know, so if I were a quarterback, if I were Arch Manning, I wouldn't have the kind of doubt, maybe that some fans, maybe the college football public, if you will, does about Texas. I would go wherever they've answered those questions most definitively. To me, uh, that either is Alabama or it's an Alabama-Texas thing. That's me. You asked me where I'd go. So that's probably where I would go. He's not going to go wrong with any of these is the side point. You cannot go wrong when you have a sure thing in general, which is why we accept Academy Sports and Outdoors as the only partner on our program. And let me tell you what's been refreshing. What's been refreshing for me in storm chasing season is you always look for a friendly parking lot to pull into. You don't want to go to rando gas stations because you never know what's happening there. But twice over the past couple of weeks, I have found myself in the friendly confines of an Academy Sports and Outdoors parking lot. Now, I'm there checking radar scope and, you know, looking for a correlation coefficient on a potential supercell. But what else I could be doing there? I could be going in, checking out the mini tents like they were so, so kind as to send us three of the other day. But also, I could go in there. I could buy a bike. I could buy a new softball bat. I could buy new cleats. I could buy new pants. I could buy a new helmet for multiple sports if I wanted to. I could buy chairs. A couple of you the other day emailed me two emails like this in the same day, I kid you not. Apparently at work, you guys had to go buy either new chairs or new tables. And whereas you said previously, I would have gone to an establishment that will not be named. You told me I could get anything I need and then some at Academy. We went to Academy and sure enough, there's the receipt, $300 worth of uh, chairs and tables. So, hey, they do have pretty much anything you're going to need, and they have our back. That's why I am so happy to report back that you so frequently have their back, because they make the show uh, able to be executed and delivered to you in the manner in which it is. And by that, I really just mean free. That is what they make sure you get when it comes to this show. Academy Sports and Outdoors our partner. We love them. We love that you love them, and they love you, and we love you, so we all just love each other. It's a love triangle of the cleanest variety. That's all I really want you to know tonight about you and me and Academy. It's one of those very rare situations in life where you can say, I'm in a love triangle and everything's fine about it. Academy Sports and Outdoors. They did not write that ad copy for me. I think it's safe to say, but I do think that deep down they approve of it. So thank you to them and thank you to you. All right, let's continue to roll on here. I told you that these international shout-outs, Jesse and Colin, were not done yet. You know they're watching us in Valencia, Spain. They're watching us in Singapore and Dubai, but also Elberton, Georgia, Tyler, Texas, checking in tonight. So thank you wherever you are. Shout-out's my favorite part of the show now. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's roll on here. You know, we were just talking about Georgia. Why not get this question in? Eric asked, what do you want to see out of Kirby Smart this year to indicate that he's building Georgia in the direction of a dynasty of their own. Now that's an important distinction there. Many programs have won titles before. Very few programs and very few coaches have been built into true dynasties. And Alabama's one right now, 
And we want to know here in this question, could Georgia potentially become that? Well, you can't prove it this year, but you can certainly give an indication that you're heading in that direction. What I would look for is how hungry a team is after they just ate. They just stuffed themselves figuratively as much as college football allows you to stuff yourself. I was there that night in Indianapolis, and we're going to talk about that night a little bit later in the show. I think it's safe to say Georgia folks had their fill in every way imaginable. Georgia folks had their fill uh, January 10th, it was, in Indianapolis, and that program did. Long-suffering, very, very loyal folks, and so they got theirs finally. And that's the way you can afford to think if you are from Elberton, Georgia, let's say. You can afford to think that way. You certainly can't if you're Kirby Smart. And that's why I have it on pretty good authority that this spring has probably been one of the roughest that many um, multi-year veteran types around that program have experienced. Kirby Smart watched this happen at Alabama several years. Kirby knows about walking in those staff meetings the day after you win a title and being read the riot act and understanding that that's in the past now. Tear the rear view mirror off this vehicle. We're only looking forward. We always have to be on guard. Anytime you're ultra successful in life, college football, no different. We talk about it all the time on this show. You got to be on guard for the consequences of success. The first indicator that you are suffering from one of the consequences of success is you start seeing signs of complacency. Doesn't really manifest itself on one particular metric. There is no one particular stat where you say, there it is. It's just this feeling in week three and week seven and week nine where you're watching Georgia. Maybe they're even winning games, but you're watching them and you find yourself on your couch saying, you know, they just, they don't seem as hungry. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just doesn't quite seem as intense as it was last year. Well, that's called complacency. Sometimes it costs you games. Sometimes it doesn't. The fact of the matter is Georgia's so talented, their roster will beat you um, eight or nine Saturdays out of the year. But we've seen this before with some high-level teams that failed to become elite in any given year because of complacency. That's a consequence of success. Hunger factor. How hungry can you stay even after you just ate? And then you also have to guard against that age-old ideology seeping into your culture after you've had some success and you built on that successful foundation with a foundation of what can I do for Georgia? And then all of a sudden you win and then you got guys, maybe some of the same ones who were part of that initial success that all of a sudden start thinking, what can Georgia do for me? Boy, that little, that little change in sentence structure, it sure does change a lot about the outcome on the field. For the record, I think Kirby's got the program wired the right way. I say that because I think a lot of it was borne out this past year. And we're really talking about being process-oriented instead of result-oriented. That's really what it boils down to. A result-oriented program would never have been able to get it back so quickly after the SEC title game. I, I don't think they would have. Uh, I don't think a, a result-oriented program would have been as resolved, I guess is the right word. I'm going to talk more about that, like I said, a little bit later in the show, but uh, I, I think they're wired the right way. But here's the thing about it. No one is immune from this stuff. Like we've said, Saban's the best of all time. They've had teams that have suffered from this. Kirby was part of some of them. He's observed it from the inside out. Uh, Jimbo has fallen victim to this. 
Urban Meyer has fallen victim to this. So, so it's bitten pretty much everyone. No one has got the market cornered. Dabo's been bitten by it. No one's got the market cornered on how to completely eliminate this. We're about to see what Kirby Smart's best effort against it is. We have not seen him reach the mountaintop and then perform in the follow-up year. We haven't seen that yet, so we get to see it now. But hunger factor. How hungry does Georgia football seem to be in 2022? It's really hard. It is hard to do. Next up. Uh, boy, I, I hope I have the right answer to this question. William asked, what would have to happen for this upcoming season to top the Renaissance season? The Renaissance season was last year. A lot of you are new. We have a huge chunk of our audience that's new. We started calling last year the Renaissance season in about July because we thought a lot of factors were coming together. Confluence, dare I say, a confluence of events. And it happened. A lot of it had to do with full stadiums again for the first time in a long time. The super senior rule made a lot of upsets a much more real possibility. We read the stats last week. We had all kind of record-setting amounts of upsets, top 10 teams falling, etc. What would have to happen for us to top that? Well, you'd have to have a perfect storm, but I'll tell you what you really have to have it come down to. Number one, you have to have energy. I don't think we have that in short supply. So normally, if you're leaning on passion and atmosphere and energy, college football fan bases are going to deliver that. So we have that pretty much every year. How many vulnerable spots do we find top 10 teams in? This does fluctuate pretty wildly. Uh, you can have top 10 teams on the road. You can have them face other ranked teams. But you and I know the difference between ranked versus ranked and a truly vulnerable spot. Like that's one of the great things about a college football season. When you wake up on one of those Saturdays, you don't have to check a graphic, all due respect. You don't have to check a graphic that 24-7 puts out. You don't have to watch college game day where they put the Saturday lineup up and you see ranked versus ranked. You see how many teams are on the national marquee. You don't have to have anyone tell you if it's a big Saturday. Because there's this unmistakable feeling in your gut when you wake up on one of those days where you really are primed for an anything could happen sort of afternoon. Your gut tells you. Like, you know when someone's really in a vulnerable position, and you know when it's mainly just being dressed up that way to hopefully suck you into watching, even though we all know good and well who's going to be up two or three scores by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, with very few exceptions. How many of those Saturdays do we get? That's another important factor. And do the dogs bite? This past year, we had a lot of top 10 vulnerability, but then the dogs did their part. Underdogs bit, and it didn't hurt that a lot of those underdogs were at home. Iowa over Penn State. Iowa was at home. Uh, Texas A&M over Bama. Texas A&M was at home. Uh, Baylor over Oklahoma. Baylor was at home. A lot of these big upsets happened, as they usually do, when the underdog was at home. If you can have all that come together, and we also maintain proper perspective, and that is the regular season means everything. If you can have those factors, all gel into this perfect product. That's how you could top the Renaissance season. But I'll be honest with you, William, I wouldn't look to top it. I just look to get in the ballpark. If you're even in the ballpark of what we all experienced this past year, 2022 is going to be a very good year. And I want to put it on your radar. It's never too early. It's, it's about to be April. We need to start thinking about what we're going to call the 2022 tour. Renaissance tour was very good for us. 2022 tour, it's going to be good either way. What are we going to call it? 
Just think on it. We don't have to have an answer tonight. Just think on it. Next up. Now, this is a fun question. You've got to be careful with it, but it's a fun question. Jason asked, just like it was back in the Big 12, will Texas be the top dog in the state when they join the SEC? Or do you think Texas A&M has such a big head start that they will continue to dominate the state? Or what about Baylor? Baylor is its own culture. Baylor has its own formula to win and compete that I think is different than the A&M formula or the Texas formula. I think this is a Texas and Texas A&M question, and that's always a juicy combination. So you remember, what was it, Jesse, about two weeks ago when we did that segment of college football, That Guys, and it was just the, the age-old stereotypes, like the Mount Rushmore of college football, certain types of fans, and one of the types was blank and it's not close there are going to be a lot of blank and it's not close guys in the comment section of this video because when you ask when both of these schools are in the sec which program is going to run the state of texas texas and it's not close a m and it's not close here's my thought on this i don't think it's possible any longer for there to be this huge gap between the programs i, I look at it now and since you mentioned the word or the words head start, I look at where Texas A&M is now versus where they were once upon a time. Where Texas A&M was once upon a time is in a situation where a lot of their fate felt like it was outside of their control. You can go all the way back to the Southwest Conference days or you can go to the Big 12 Conference days, but there was a feeling, right or wrong, there was a feeling amongst Aggie faithful that we control what we control, but ultimately there's a lot that goes on in Austin and the league office and everything in between that affects us, that's outside our control, and you always felt like it was you competing against some unseeable force out there that was working against you. But now, that doesn't exist. I don't care if and when Texas gets to the SEC, that doesn't exist. If Texas does run it up on you, if Texas is distancing themselves from you, if they're pulling ahead of you, it's because Texas is outperforming you, which could happen. I don't foresee it happening, but it could happen. I think what's going to happen is this is going to turn into, again, one of the top and premier rivalries in college football. I think it's going to arrive at the main event table, actually, of the rivalry, at least, aspect of college football, because they are they're both going to be in the tough... Well, I don't know what the division structure is going to be like. They're going to both be in the premier conference in America. It's the NIL era, which has added like a whole new level to this. They're both, I think, programs, especially A&M now, at the highest profile that we've seen them in quite a while. It's just everything you need for a great rivalry. But Texas A&M, there is no way. Like I know a lot of you are going to say, oh, when Texas gets to the SEC now... It's game over for A&M. No, it's, it's crazy. No, it's not. Texas A&M football in 2022 and beyond, they're not taking a back seat to anyone unless it's of their own doing. Now, Texas A&M could screw over Texas A&M, but there's, there's no external force at work no longer at, at the league office level or, or whatnot. There's, there's not that. Uh, there is no favoritism for Texas and the SEC. I can assure you that. There's also... Nothing that you need to succeed at the highest level that Texas has that A&M doesn't. What do they have? I, I know what I'm going to hear is, oh, oh, Texas has limitless pocketbooks. They, well, so does A&M. 
You know, and really, even if we were to start talking about this, if we were to start talking financial semantics, both are at such a level that it's like a couple of billionaires arguing in a grocery store. It doesn't matter. Both of you can buy the entire store. It doesn't matter which one has the higher net worth at that point. So there is not an edge there. There will not be a discernible edge in recruiting because one will not let the other have that. Both cultures are great. Uh, both programs are great. They're both going to presumably be performing at a high level within the context of this question. I don't think either one of them is going to dominate the state of Texas. If both are performing at relatively high levels to their capability, they're both going to be good. So I don't think either one of them is going to dominate the state of Texas. I know what the comment section is going to look like on this individual video when we cut it for YouTube. You won't convince me that one of these is just going to dominate the other unless the other's shortcomings and shortcomings alone trigger it. There is no structural advantage that disproportionately tilts to one over the other. I should have said that like five minutes ago. That is my feel on that. Uh, last question here, which is kind of a story time question that we have not had in quite a while. Kind of eyelash in my eye. Uh, Ambassador Dog said, I still got to know if you have any cool stories from the 2022 National Championship game. Well, um, I was in an Uber today and I was talking to my driver and traffic was gridlocked. And he said, you know, we need a new transit system in this city. And that was how I found out we had passenger rail in Nashville, which I didn't know until today. Secondly, we started talking about the Skywalk system that they have in cities like Indianapolis where this game was played. So I, I had fun reminiscing about that. I'm not going to tell you a story about the Skywalk, but I am going to tell you a story about how this game really started in December. When they played in the SEC championship game, I, I needed to watch the national title game to fully appreciate it, but Georgia started winning the national championship game the night of the SEC championship game. I remember if we go back to Atlanta, there was a lot of celebration for Alabama, but I remember being outside Georgia's locker room. I remember being just around the team after the game, and it just felt nothing like you would think it would feel. It was, it was almost as if the entire organization dusted itself off that night in the building and said, all right, let's go to work. And that's a champion's mentality. You know, that's kind of a warrior's mentality. It is so hard to have that as a competitor because there's so much insecurity in the world and there's so much hurt pride and hurt feelings in the world that when you get beat soundly as a favorite in the year that everyone's saying is your year and it's against whether they want to admit it or not, their biggest current rival in this sport because that was the one dragon they had yet to slay and you get right back up and you get right back to work, if anything, with more resolve, which was the word of the show earlier, than you had before, that's where they started to win that national championship game. Now, you didn't realize it until you had the full picture laid out for you, but that takes me now to January 10th. And I remember watching Georgia, I was at the semifinal game in Miami, watched them come in there. Man, they almost treated that Michigan game like a walkthrough for the national title game which is what basically Michigan got served up as. Good year for the Wolverines, but it was a very, very tilted affair, uh, to say the least, down in Miami. And when Georgia, Georgia got to Indianapolis, they carried themselves like a team that had already won a couple of them. Now, I've been around both kinds. I've been around Bama a lot because they're always in that setting. I've been around Georgia teams in these big settings. This, this Georgia team carried itself different. 
than most Georgia teams do. So the game played out like it did. And I don't think for an outsider, you can fully appreciate the level of pressure that was on this program, yet they performed relatively unaffected by the pressure. They were aware of it, though. So then the game ends and everyone goes to celebrate as, as however you saw fit. There's a lot of it going on. And Danny Cannell and I did a lot of post-game stuff for CBS in the stadium. So the stadium's emptied out and there's confetti all over the place and people are boxing it up, which I should have done because that stuff is selling like gold bars on eBay right now. But after we got done with our live hits for CBS, Kirby was back out on the field. Stetson Bennett was back out on the field. They were doing, I, I think, probably some Sports Center hits. But I watched Stetson, who was doing a separate hit from Kirby, but they were both, you know, IFBN. They're waiting for the live shot to begin. So they both, like, kind of have a second to look at each other. And I really remember thinking, this right here is a really golden moment because you had to remember what the talk had been. Everybody forgets this. It gets lost to history. When the history books are written about the 2021 college football season, you'll know that Georgia went undefeated regular season, had a little hiccup in Atlanta. They atoned for it big time in the national title game. You can say that in one breath. Do you remember how much breath was wasted between the SEC title game and the national title game by folks asking about whether JT Daniels needs to start? By the way, which program is he playing for right now? Still hadn't landed anywhere. And yet, Kirby Smart was resolute the entire time. They never flinched. They never so much as flinched on Stetson Bennett. He was their guy. He was his guy the whole time. You can get a million different stories about why that was, but Kirby Smart never blinked. I got full respect for someone who is totally resolved in their decision-making because that's what a leader has to be. The age-old adage if you're listening to the folks in the stands, you will soon be sitting with the folks in the stands. Well, there they were. They were on the field there. Confetti all over the place. They're having a, it's like snow on the ground. You got to clear out a spot. If you're going to kick an extra point in the snow, you got to clear out a spot in the confetti if you're going to stand there to do the live hit. And they're just next to each other. And I remember thinking to myself, because you could see the relief on their faces and they're talking to each other. Kirby's got a golf cart he's riding around on. They're talking to each other. But I remember thinking, you know, no one's going to see this particular scene, but man, I hope people appreciate the resolve it takes to make the decision. Your staff makes it, but ultimately you're making it as the head man. And you're making all these millions of dollars, but it really all boils down to a few decisions. You get all the talent, okay? Once the talent's there and the staff's there and the schedule's made and the equipment arrives and you tee it up, it really comes down to a few major decisions. And that's ultimately what you get paid the big bucks for. He made one and he stuck to it and they never wavered. And he told you, he looked you dead in the eye the whole year. And he said, well, I'm playing him because he gives us the best chance to win. And then after they lost the game, he still had the audacity to look at you and tell you, actually, he still gives us the best chance to win. Should have told you everything you needed to know the first time he said it. It really told you everything you needed to know when he said it even after they lost. So I remember that moment. I remember being on the field long after the building's emptied and just looking at those two there. You know, the noise has subsided and they're doing some post-game hits, but he's just standing there, kind of smiles at him, nods at him, Kirby does. And that was this guy. And now look, hey, most of the time, that's the end of the story. But now we get to look ahead to 2022 and Stetson Bennett's still there. And wouldn't you know it, one of the questions that didn't quite make air tonight is, all right, look, I know he won a title, but... What do we make of the quarterback competition this year at Georgia? What I make of it is it spring practice 
And hey, for that matter, Stetson Bennett's gonna have to earn that starting job all over again. That's the, that's the beauty and the challenge of playing at a program like Georgia. Thank you for being here tonight. Make sure you are subscribed. Whether it be the YouTube channel or the pod, wherever you are listening or watching, all we need you to do is subscribe and Academy Sports and Outdoors take care of the rest, really. But I thank you guys wherever you are for being here. We'll be back here same time Sunday night. Until then, have a great start to your weekend. Take care and God bless. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.